Philippians chapter 1. Chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 8. Philippians chapter 1, and uh, we are going to start... Sorry about that. Philippians chapter 1, in verse 8. The Lord tells us, For God is my record, Paul says to the inspiration of God, how greatly... I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So one of the things, by the way, what did Jesus say when he was here? He said, you've heard that the greatest commandment is love your Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And then he said this, and to love your neighbor as yourself. One of the big hallmarks of the New Testament church, one of the big things about it was unity within the church, within the church body. Uh, we don't ever expect necessarily to have unity with the lost world because we're, we're walking in two different families. But in the body of Christ, there's unity. And he said, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. If we are walking in the love of Jesus, we have discernment about the better path of everything that we do in our life. Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, under the glory and praise of God. But I would ye should understand, brethren that the things which happened unto me have fallen out, rather, under the furtherance of the gospel, so that in my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. So Paul had been arrested. He had been jailed for preaching the gospel. And he is responding back through the inspiration of God by writing this letter to the church in Philippi, and he says in this passage, now I don't know about how many of you would feel this way if you had been put in jail for your faith. Most of us, if we had been jailed for our faith, would be, would be hyper mad and angry at the government, wouldn't we? Paul's taking advantage. He said, look, I'm here so that the gospel may be furthered in the place that I'm at right now. And he goes on and he says this in verse 14. Many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love, that means he preaches the Christ of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul said, look, I find myself in this place, 
And my chief prayer is that Christ will be magnified in me no matter what condition I find myself to be in. It doesn't matter whether I'm in the hospital, whether I'm at home, whether I'm on the job, whether wherever I may be, that Christ will be magnified through me. What, what does that even mean? How do we magnify Christ through ourselves? He left us here for one reason, and he left us here for one reason only, and that is to be an ambassador of him. We carry the good news of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that in just a minute. I'm going to get ahead of myself. Verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning in prayer. We ask that you would bless these services, the reading of your word. Lord, I pray that as we, as we discuss your word, Father, that you would receive all the honor and all the glory. Strengthen our souls. Exhort us, Lord, to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, he said, it doesn't matter. He, in verse 20, he says, I'm going to magnify God in my body, whether it's by life or death. And then in the very next verse, for me to live, if I'm living, it's Christ. I'm living for him to be an example of him to the, to the people around me. And he says, to die is gain. What does that even mean? For me to die is gain. Well, because he also says in another passage, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Some people believe in that, that our soul floats around and goes to a middle in-between place. That's untrue. Some people believe that our soul resides with our body until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's not true. Paul said to be absent from my body is to be synonymous to being present with the Lord. And so the day that the Lord calls me home, the day that this, that this house that I'm in stays here and my soul departs, my soul goes to be perfect and sinless with God in heaven. So we're going to look at a few things this morning. The first thing is the decision that has to be made. <coughs> There's a passage <coughs> in Ecclesiastes that says, why should you die before your time? And I've talked about that in here before, and it talks about basically your effectiveness dying while you're still living. That means you're, you're not accomplishing anything for God. We're, just, we're saved, but we're just living. Their first decision is we have to know that heaven is our home. Look, we understand that there's only one, one way to heaven. We understand, I would say most everybody in here this morning would say that they know the Lord Jesus Christ is their personal Savior. And when we stand up, most preachers will tell you that, that every sermon we ever preach, it really comes back to the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on that cross. So there was a day that most everybody in here would willingly say, you know what, I did confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, and I did believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and I became what we know as saved. That means that heaven is my home. It means that I am eternally secure in Christ. It means that when I die, the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me from my sin, so I will stand before him as perfect and sinless. Most of us would say that. So... Here's the thing. When we talk about Ephesians chapter 5, a man should love his wife like Christ loves the church, one of the things that makes that so difficult for a man is, is because, what does it say? Love his wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So Jesus gave himself for the church. Ready? Right? So we understand that concept. So men, would be, it would be easy for a man to give his physical life for our, for our wives. That's, not, that's never even a question. 
If somebody invaded our country or invaded my home or whatever, men, our natural instinct is not to run from that, from the people we love, and leave them behind. Our natural instinct for a, for a man typically is to protect those we love, even at the cost of our own life. Why? Because we're not even thinking about that. We're thinking about protection. That's our reaction. That's our instinct. So the Lord's not talking in Ephesians 5 about just physical giving our life. That's a natural physical reaction. But something much harder, something much more difficult, is to give and sacrifice my desire and my flesh on behalf of my wife's bettering, if you understand what I'm saying. What did Jesus say in the Garden of Gethsemane before he died on the cross? He said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Christ submitted himself to the, to the cross. He's not, he's, I'm not talking about the punishment of the cross. I'm talking about becoming sin. Becoming our sin on that cross and being separated in the middle of the Trinity, being separated from God the Father because of the sin he bore. He took the worst sin that you've ever done and the worst sin that I've ever done, and he bore those upon himself on the cross of Calvary. By the way, that's why the Bible says that at the foot of the cross, there is no Jew nor Greek. There is no free nor slave. There is no male nor female. We are all one at the foot of the cross. What does that mean? At that Because we are all equal as far as being sinners, and we're all equal in the need of a Savior. And he provided that sacrifice for us. So the decision is, yes, getting saved and accepting him. Man, I'm going to run to him. I'm going to accept that salvation. That was an easy decision for me. Some people, it's an easy, it was an, it's not, wasn't an easy thing for Christ for what he did, but it's easy for us to accept his permanent sacrifice. But the hard thing to do is to live for him. That's the difficult decision we have to make. Are we living? Are we true? By the way, true life, true freedom can only be found in Jesus Christ. And I'm not, and Christians in here will all agree that's exactly right. That's why I got saved. I'm not talking about salvation now. I'm talking about true freedom being and letting Him control our actions and our thoughts and our day to day life. What did Paul say? Crucify yourself afresh daily. We should offer our, life, our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's the least we can do. He died for us. We can live for him, right? Have you ever met somebody and you don't know them, but you can tell by looking in their eyes and by even seeing, let's be honest, when sin takes a toll on a human body, have you, ever seen the, have you ever seen the billboards with people that have been on meth and they always have the, the before and the afters, right? It's, it's, it's heart-wrenching to see the difference. I saw, by the way, I've seen the opposite too. People that used to be on drugs and then they got off of them and got better and you could see the difference. That's beautiful, beautiful transformation. Sin ages us, by the way. Sin will tear down your body. Physically, literally will tear down your body. Have you ever looked at someone and they were much younger than they looked? And it's probably because they've had a lot of hard decisions in their life, a lot of hard times in their life. Some of them may not even be of their own making or choosing. Some of them could be external. 
But can I tell you something? Some people will continue to live in a certain cycle because they're not, even though someone may be saved, they're not living for Christ in the moment right now. They're not making their decisions based on Christ. You know, God gives us freedom. Sometimes what happens is our sin, even for a Christian, it's possible for the sin that we have embraced to shackle us underneath its dominion. Why in the world would I return to what I've been freed from? That God's delivered me from. Philippians chapter 3 says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof, whereof he might trust in the flesh, Paul says, I more. I was circumcised the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touch, regarding the law, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, per, I persecuted the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You know what Paul's telling the church at Philippi? He said, look, if anybody had a reason to brag about their nationalism, about their patriotism to Israel, about their knowledge of the Old Testament, about their zeal for God, man, I was locking people up. I was going after the church. I was persecuting them because I thought I was doing the will of God. He said, if anybody could brag about the person they were in their humanity, it was me. He said, man, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most famous teachers in the Sanhedrin. And he said, if anybody could brag about who they are and what they were, I could have. He said, but I've lost all of that because I chose Jesus Christ. And he said, and you know what? I would lose it all again, and I count all that as dung, as excrement. I don't even care about those things. Why? Because I, for the knowledge, I would rather have the knowledge of Jesus Christ than the accolades of humans. And that's what he was saying. <clears throat> there has to be a decision made in our life. Not only do we choose him and we, go, we move from death to life and we choose him in our lost state, but after that, we need to choose to live for him. John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Romans 12.1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I quoted this a minute ago, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Every day I give my decisions to God. Every day I say, okay, is this what God wants? You know, I know that things in America, we have fads that hit and things become cliché. And I become, I'm resistant. If, if, the, if the rest of the world likes things, I usually, not, not for any good reason, I just don't, I choose not to because everybody else does. I know that's terrible, isn't it? But there used to be a saying, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know, and, and I get it. I get the purpose of it. I was resistant to it then because it was just so common, it was driving me crazy. Because people were wearing it like a bumper sticker, and yet they never really truly asked themselves that question. You understand what I'm saying? 
It's one thing to simply say it. It's another thing to dadgum live it, right? So, but the truth of the matter is, what would he want me to do? That ought to permeate every decision I make. That's called a living sacrifice. By the way, a sacrifice isn't a sacrifice if it doesn't cost me something. So, it's natural that I am going to want to sacrifice that I'm going to have a desire to do A, and God wants me to do B, then I've got to leave A in the rearview mirror. The problem is we live in a world where we have instant gratification. And when we become adults, nobody can tell us no except our bosses and the government. And so the idea then is, okay, well, I've got to self-regulate. You know why they put regulators on cars at the racetrack? So they don't go flying over the top of the turn over into the stands. There's a concept behind that that you've got to pace yourself. I tell my guys when, when guys are running in a, in a 440 around a track, around a football field, and you'll always see these young guys, man, they want to show everybody up. And, man, they just start out, a, I'm talking blazing for about 20, 40 yards, and then everybody passes them. And the idea is that for us as believers, listen, every single day, this is a journey. Are you going to have days of failure? Absolutely. We're talking about in the Christian life. Yeah, we're going to have days of failure. We may have seasons of failure. But there is absolutely no reason that we should ever find ourselves remaining in that place and staying in that rut. Here's what we do. If we think, well, I've, I've, I've tried to live for God, I've tried to let Him, you know, I've, I've tried to give my day to Him, I've sacrificed myself daily to God, I've made myself a living sacrifice for a whole week, and Dad gummit, it didn't work. He doesn't say a time frame, does he? Yes, there's going to be downtime. Yes, there's going to be times when we fail, but bless God, we should, not, we should not embrace that and use that as an excuse to keep failing. Man, how often do we just quit? A lot of us treat our spiritual growth the way we diet. We start off really good. Man, I did really good for three days. Hadn't seen any loss yet. Or we treat our spiritual growth the way I took piano lessons for eight weeks. I wanted to be able to play like my sister. So I started taking piano lessons. Don't, 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 don't. Okay, I'm going outside and playing army. Because I didn't sound like my sister. Well, of course I'm not. I stopped after six or eight weeks. That's the way we treat our spiritual life. It's like, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do great. I'm doing great. I did great today. I did great tomorrow. The next day, look, it's been four days. I'm doing great. Then you have a bad day. Man, I'm a failure. Yeah, you are. So am I. We're called humans. Get back up on the horse. Because what happens is if we don't stay there, and if we keep growing, then it becomes like a graph chart. And we find ourselves here and not here, even though we had seasons or times where we did not live at our capacity spiritually. Not only is there a decision to be made, but think about this. 
There's a death. Just as Jesus died to give life to millions, it is we that need to die to self and let Christ live through us that we will truly learn to live in Christ. John 12 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man, except, sorry, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. It's amazing, isn't it? You ought to study the seed sometimes. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If you hate your life in this world, that doesn't mean you walk around in a state of depression hating yourself. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, you let God's will supersede your will in this life, and you're going to gain eternal reward in heaven. We're not working for our salvation. Look, we put that, we put that to rest a long time ago. I don't have to be like the Mormon and constantly knock on doors and constantly because I'm, I have to be, become like Jesus Christ. Is it okay to tell people about Jesus? Yes, we're commanded to do that. But is that necessary for my salvation? Absolutely not. Is me doing good works necessary for my salvation? We can't do enough good works to go to heaven. The Bible says, my righteousness is as filthy rags. The best I could possibly offer falls short of the glory of God. So, once we get saved, we're saved. So what's the point of living for him now? To have true freedom of life here and to point others to him. Luke 9, 23 says, He said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. He's not talking about salvation here at this point. What is he talking about? He's talking about having a life of purpose and value. Do you feel like you're wondering this morning? Do you feel like you're just meandering or drifting in your life with no direction or no purpose? That is a spiritual problem directly associated with our walk with Christ. Satan will lie to you, and he will put his thumb of oppression over you, and he will make you think you're worthless. He will make you think you have no purpose. He will make you think that all of these things, and let me tell you something, if we allow ourselves to live our life and to think about things from a human perspective, we will fall right into line with that trap. If we are saved, you are a prince or a princess of God. Hey, preacher, you don't understand my problems. You don't understand my heartache. God does. And let me tell you, my external circumstances don't change my family relations. I may, I may have a troubled issue happen in my life, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm the son of Wayne and Margie Settle. You may have issues in your life, you may fail yourself, you may fail your Heavenly Father, but it doesn't change the fact that you are a child of God if you're saved, and you are a joint heir of Jesus Christ. Satan doesn't want you to access the power that you have inside of you. The power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, God himself who has sealed you and who lives inside of you. He wants you to wallow around. He wants you to feel worthless. He wants you to feel pointless. He wants you to feel like you can't accomplish anything for him. And God says, if you will lose your life for my sake, you will save it. That means if you will sacrifice yourself, if you will lose your own desires for my desires, man, you're going to truly live life while you're here. That's what he's saying. Can you imagine the freedom? Think about this. You've got the fisherman, you've got the tax collector, you've got the doctor, you've got the Pharisee of the Pharisees, 
These men all had things that defined them. Hey, hey, do you know, uh, do you know Peter? Oh, uh, yeah, the fisherman. Oh, yeah, the fisherman. Hey, do you know Andrew? Oh, yeah, the fisherman. Hey, have you ever heard of Luke? Oh, yeah, he's that doctor. Those things, before they were following Christ, those things defined who they were. And the day that Jesus went to him, he found him at the seashore. He said, hey, guys, leave your nets behind. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. You want to have purpose? You're not going to be going out there and just going and fishing every day, every day, every day. I'm going to give you a true purpose for what you're doing. Hey, Luke, I know you're a doctor and you can still use that purpose, but why don't you follow me? Hey, Paul, I know you're on the way to persecute me. And I know you're a Pharisee of the Pharisees, but I also know that you know how to make tents. Why don't you take care of yourself that way and follow me? And for the first time in these people's lives, they set aside the earthly things that define them. The things that are, that are bound by time here that made them who they were and defined them and they set them aside. They shed them like a garment and they followed Jesus and for the first time they had freedom. They had freedom in Jesus Christ. That's why the Pharisees would look out and they would see John and Peter preaching and they would say, how in the world can these guys talk about these things? These are lowly fishermen. They shouldn't even know these things. They shouldn't have this kind of knowledge. They shouldn't even speak with this kind of authority and this kind of confidence because it came from the Holy Spirit that indwelled them. We have no reason to live our life beating ourselves up as if we are unworthy or incapable. I am worthy of all things through Jesus Christ. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Then we see a devotion in the last half of that verse. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is our reasonable service to devote ourselves to him. And man, it's not just that we look at the life of serving God as a burden. We look at it as taking on. You know what the burden is? The burden for me would be to manage, look, and I don't care if you're managing a company, but if you're, if you're managing something and you are not living every day for Christ, but just to punch a clock and, and manage people in a business, and that's all, and you live on a day-to-day -day purpose and not an eternal purpose, I can't imagine how shackling that would feel. Look, all of these men in the New Testament, they could work with their hands, and they, some of them, like Paul, were self-employed. But it did not stop him from doing the will of God and giving him eternal worth and value. Next, we see a discipline. It takes years of practice and some training to be really good at some things. I got to tell you, and you guys know this, you can go to college. College really doesn't train you to be really exceptional at whatever it is you're going to end up doing. Ultimately, what is it that trains you? Experience. Eva, you went to college for nursing, but you didn't get any of you didn't get the knowledge that you truly got until you went out there and started being a nurse every day dealing with people. You see heartache, you see failure. There are things that you can't prepare for. 
There are things that you can't plan for. I can promise you as a preacher, there are some things I've encountered with humans that they never taught me in college. And you're like, well, that's brand new. I would, never would have thought I'd heard of that in a million years. And I can promise you that, and by the way, what are we all like? I remember when, when Kathy was expecting Aubrey, and she had had a lot of problems with epidurals. And she was in the hospital, and I had already gone to somebody in the hospital and told him, look, she needs to make sure and have somebody experienced because she has had problems with these in the past. And they were like, oh, yeah, no, no problem. You know how they treat young dads, and this was our sixth child, so I knew what I was talking about. <clears throat> and they were like, oh, yeah, it's fine. We'll, we'll take care of it. And in, in walks this lady who's probably done hundreds of epidurals, and she says, now, I'm in training, and I just got up and walked out of the room. And a, a, a charge nurse walks by me a little bit later and says, are you okay? I think it was, like, visibly because I can't hide my when I'm upset. And I told her what happened. She said, we'll take care of it. Kathy, who was it that walked in? The head of anesthesiology for the whole hospital walked in the room to do her epidural. <laughs> it's because I was so upset about it. Look, why? Because I wanted somebody experienced, right? I wanted somebody that knew what they were doing. Look, if I've got to have surgery, Pete, you're a great fisherman, but I'm not going to have you operate on my shoulder. Pete's like, well, i got a hook. I can... So, look, what, who do we go to? We go to people who know what they're doing. Why? Because they've spent time. They've spent time thinking about it and preparing it and, and being, in, in, being active in it. They've been doing it. So they know what they're doing. Can I tell you something? There's a practice. There is a, there is a practice to living for God. Prayer... <clears throat> requires conscious effort on our part. It requires repetition. I've, I've met people before, oh, I can't, I, I just can't, I can't pray. I don't know how to pray. Look, if somebody is fervent in their personal prayer life, it doesn't matter whether someone hears them or doesn't hear them, they can pray. Because it's not about a prayer. My prayer, by the way, is not for you to hear me. If I call on somebody to pray in here, I don't want you to tell us a story in your prayer. I don't want to hear a message. When I pray to close something, I don't, want to, I don't want to preach another message in the prayer because it's not for you. I'm talking to the Lord. And the truth of the matter is when we call on somebody to pray in here and we lift our hearts up to God, the rest of us, we're not necessarily listening to him. He's, that one person, lady or man, is speaking to God. The rest of us ought to be lifting our own hearts up to God in prayer. Pra there is a practice and a repetition and definitely in Bible reading. Some people say, I have a hard time reading the Bible. I don't understand it. Well, read it more. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. The Holy Spirit of God gives you wisdom. He is a light unto your path. Let me tell you something. If all my Bible knowledge comes from a human telling me what the Bible says, then shame on me. I, if I'm not in the Word of God, but I'm relying on somebody else, can I tell you this? Satan will make sure that the wrong person puts their words of God in your ears instead of the Word of God. We need to be in the Word of God. And we need to meditate in the Word of God. What does Psalm 1-1 say? 
Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he what? Meditate day and night. What does that word meditate mean? It means think upon it. It means ruminate, like a, chow, a cow chewing its cud. It's thinking about it. You swallow it, and you pull it back up, and you think about it again. Look, when we do that, we're pulling from a resource deep within us. The Bible says we become like a tree planted by rivers of water that giveth forth its fruit in its season, and its leaf whatsoever doeth shall prosper, and its leaf also shall not wither. The cold, I love that passage. The whole concept of that tree planted by rivers of water and its leaf not withering, what is that a picture of? It is a picture of a storm. And we've had a lot of storms come through here lately. And a tree that stands and its leaf is, not, is, is strong and it's hanging onto the tree. Why? Because it has a source of strength in the tree. Well, where does the tree find its source of strength? Down into the roots. Where does the roots find its source of strength? Into a water source. What does the water in, represent? It is represented as the Word of God. If we are in the Word of God, we become spiritually stronger. If we're not in the Word of God, we don't become spiritually stronger. We become weak. If we're in the Word of God, then the fruit of the Spirit will start producing itself in our life simultaneously and collectively. And if we're not in the Word of God, then those fruits will shrink in our lives. Very simple concept. You want to be better than where you are right now in your life, and your living? Get in the Word of God. We have to depend on the Lord's help. John 15 says this, and I'm almost finished. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, Jesus said, ye can do nothing. Nothing. Oh, yeah, sure, you can do physical things, but you're not going to find a sense of worth. You're not going to find a, a purpose. You're not going to find completion in your effort. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. By the way, this verse has been taken out of context. <laughs> up there with judge not lest you be judged. So those two are like up there in the massive out of context verses. But I will tell you this. He's primarily talking about spiritual things. So <laughs> if I'm just going to go out here and I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to lift 1,000 pounds today because... Christ is in me, and I can do everything through him. I'm going to be trying to lift that for a long time. Okay? When he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and he says that in Philippians, which is a whole passage about joy, think about this. He is talking to the Philippian church. He's writing this letter for the inspiration of God from jail, and he is seeing souls saved. And what he says is, I can find victory in the midst of trial. I can find happiness in the midst of when I should be sad. I can find purpose in the midst of, of trouble. I can do all of these things through Christ. Every part of this passage of Philippians 4 is talking about finding spiritual success when the lost world looks at you and looks at your circumstances and should see nothing but failure. Why? Because I'm walking with Christ. And when I'm walking with him internally, that gives me what we call the peace that passes all understanding. 
while somebody else looks at us and they think, why are you content right now? How are you able to have peace right now? Because God's in control. Not, those aren't empty words for a Christian. Those are not just vain things. That is me living in victory and not allowing myself to fall under the circumstances that Satan throws at me. And there is a destiny of the last thing ahead. In the very last part of Philippians 1.23, to die is gain. Hallelujah. I am in a straight betwixt two places, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, or to stay for you. Paul's saying, look, he's, it's not like he's sitting in jail thinking, man, I just love being in jail. This is a great place. I like the food they give me. I like my, my, my roommates are great. Jail is a phenomenal place, and I'm so happy to be here. That's not what Paul is saying. What's he saying? He said, look, I'm going to acknowledge the fact that I would rather be dead right now. <laughs> what does he mean by that? He's saying, look, I'm caught to be with Christ is far better. But God wants me here. Why? I'm here for you. That's what Paul's saying, Right? Who does God have you here for? I want you to think about that. If we're going to truly crucify our flesh, then what do we do? We quit looking at our circumstances, and we start looking at who God has me here to spiritually bless. Who does God have me here helping? What's my mission? You are immortal until your mission here is finished. We have a mission. New Hope Baptist Church has a mission. You have a mission. God has a purpose. If you're his child, if you're his prince or his princess, if you're his joint heir with Jesus, you have a mission to serve him. And while we may be here, listen, we have a destiny awaiting us. Oh, my goodness. It's going to far surpass in peace anything that we had in trial here. You know, when we get to heaven, you know you're going to be absolutely sinless. I'm not going to have to sit and ask Moses a ton of questions. It's going to be cool to talk about the stories, but I don't have to find anything out. You know why? Because the Bible says, I will be like Christ. I will stand before God. By the way, that's why I don't have to stand before God and come in bearing all my sin before Him. The Bible says that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. A lost person shows up before God wearing the shackles and the weight of their own sin and the best they can do like Cain did, and God's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. A Christian comes before God, and even though we may have those same sins, even though we may have that same burden, we will come to Him with the blood of Jesus Christ covering us, and He will look at us and He will say, Enter into my peace. Enter into my rest, thou good and faithful servant. You may say, I'm a terrible servant. 
Thou good and faithful servant, because you will be bearing the blood of Jesus Christ and you will be made sinless. We are sinless because of his blood, not because we are anything, but because of him. And when we get that through our thick heads and we realize it is not up to me to attain or to achieve or to do, it is up to the Lord Jesus Christ and we let him live through us, then we can live in victory on this earth and then we can, we can walk and approach into his presence not carrying the guilt and the burden of this life, but walking in sinlessness. Not even tempted, not even struggling, but content in the glory of God. That's what's waiting on us. Look, yeah, so the physical perfection is going to be nice. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about the spiritual perfection. Perfection. 